this mission scratched, Trice. We're done. Crater waves a hand at the running battles playing out in the streets down below. Nothing more we're going to dig out of this mess, except maybe a knife in the guts. What he's saying makes a sort of sense, and he speaks with his customary assuredness that Trace has known the big man long enough to see the signs. The wide pupils, that sheen of sweat, and the slight tremor in his hand. He's burning for another dust hit, sure as shit. And so soon, after his last binge, not good. The lad needs motivating, and there's no time to do it nice. Not that she'd do it nice if she had the time. You flaking on me, crater, she spits contemptuous. That blood in your veins or cat piss? Keys hate a coward, traitor. It sounds to me like you've lost your stones. You want to go running back to the spider empty-handed? Be my fucking guest. Me? I've got a job to do, and it's going to take a damn sight more than that sorry bunch to stop me doing it. Crater blinks, caught between laughing it off and punching Trace clear off the roof. He opts for the middle ground. Fuck you, Trace. What do you think we're going to do with our only lead blown? We need information. We ain't going to get that with the ward on. Them down there are busy killing or hiding. No one much in the mood for talking. Trace has not broken eye contact throughout. She doesn't break it now. Who says our lead is blown? Seems to me we've got just exactly what we need. Unseen. We double back, watch the warehouse, then follow that shape-shifting freak and her crew wherever they go and see where they lead us. Only question is, is your head on straight? You up for some subtle work, when you got yourself a hole you want to go and crawl into? Crater doesn't look happy. Maybe it's the tongue lashing. Maybe it's the gnawing craving for the drugs. Or maybe it's the prospect of trailing a heavily armed gang of killers led by a monstrous thing that flays people alive and eats their brains for kicks. Either way, he eventually caves. Fine, he shrugs. No need to get pissy about it. Hello and welcome to The Lone Adventurer, an actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide as we follow our heroes on their journey into the unknown. For this game, I'll be using the Blades in the Dark rule set, as well as a variety of other systems, tools, and tables as they take my fancy. A word of warning the following scenes may contain mature themes and disturbing imagery. Listener discretion is advised. The adventure continues. Last time on The Lone Adventurer, things went from bad to worse for Sallow and the Spider. They managed to defeat a guardian and break into Dr. Crop's fortified place of business, but swiftly learned that in so doing, they had opened the way for an elite fighting force of the Seekers of Droom, as preordained by everyone's favourite doomsinger, Heart of Snow. And their bad luck didn't stop there. Dr. Crop, it turned out, was not at home. In his place, the spider found a letter, the reading of which triggered the total and utter destruction 
of the entire building. With the spider's plan up in smoke, it's time to see if her contingency can succeed. Crater is right to be concerned. The journey back to the warehouse, the subsequent stakeout, and the tailing of the Unseen and her crew when they finally leave, all against a backdrop of pitched street battles, carries the constant risk of discovery, swiftly followed by death. Or, worse yet, slowly followed by death. There are lookouts everywhere, armed guards, and a state of heightened alert that makes their difficult job doubly so. And yet, in spite of all the odds stacked against them, Crater and Trace eventually find themselves perched on another warehouse roof, peering in through a grubby skylight. And this time, the sight that greets them is far more to Trace's liking. The warehouse is filled with barrels. What do you reckon? Trace whispers. Two hundred? Three hundred, maybe? That's a hell of a lot of blasting powder down there. And if that other warehouse held the same about before it was cleared out, they're shifting this stuff in incredible volume. Creighton nods, though his attention is drawn from the barrels to the room's other occupants. Three figures, obscured and only partially visible, but unmistakably including the one wearing the form of the butchered woman, Katari. Unseen, he growls. They don't seem too happy to see each other. Trace observes, and she's not wrong. From the body language, there appears to be a fairly violent disagreement taking place. Damn it, we really need to hear what they're saying. Before Crater can point out just how damn stupid it would be, Trace has silently levered the window open and slipped inside. With no rafters within easy reach, she is forced to move upside down across the ceiling climbing spikes at her hands and feet, silently forced into the cracks between the roofing planks with painstaking patience. She grits her teeth as she moves, spider-like through the shadows, her muscles on fire, her ears straining to make out the conversation below. This represents a critical threat to our plans. If these rumours are true, if a means exists to neutralise the powder, and if that means were made widely known, all our work will have been for nothing. This could spell catastrophe for the grand design. The speaker, dressed in street entertainer's motley, is young, barely into his teens by the look of him. But his language, his tone, and his posture will belie his apparent age. Get a grip of yourself, Dex, the woman clothed in Katari's skin snaps, utterly contemptuous. These hysterics are becoming. I told you, I have a team on it and we will learn the truth of it soon enough one way or another. Until then, you would do better to focus on what matters now, not on what might matter later. Such is the sting in her words and the fury on Dax's face that Trace can't help but be reminded of her own harsh treatment of Crater earlier. The third member of the group, a heavy-set, disreputable-looking fellow in a filthy leather waistcoat, interjects, What might that be, I wonder? Secure in your own position, is it, Katari? From what I hear, it wouldn't be your first time leaving your cell to swing in the wind while you take the credit. Katari's face darkens and she leans forwards menacingly. The other two, despite themselves, take a step back. Let's just get something absolutely clear, shall we? I am heading up this cell. It was me that put this supply route together. And I am the one whose head is in the noose if you two cretins screw things up. 
So, unless you really want to test me, why don't you both shut the fuck up and focus on doing your damn jobs? There is a pause, in which she appears to be daring either of them to say another word. Neither does. She continues, more calmly, but with no less menace. Right. Dex, any issues on the supply side? Dex looks shifty, but shakes his head. Nothing I can't handle. Security has been tightened, but we have enough people within the cult to maintain deliveries and prevent unwanted scrutiny of stock levels. We're on track. Katari nods. Good. What about you, Vade? Did the last shipment get out as planned? Everything set for this next one. High above the shapeshifters, Trace clings desperately on. Her cramping muscles are a shrieking symphony of pain. Her face is beaded with sweat. But this is it. If she can just hold out a few moments longer, if they just keep talking. She recites a mantra to herself over and over, something her mentor taught her years ago. Pain is temporary. It may last a minute, or an hour, or a day, or a year, but eventually it will subside and something else will take its place. But if I quit, it will last forever. That surrender, even the smallest act of giving up, will stay with me. So if I feel like quitting, I must ask myself, which would I rather live with? And Trace clings on. The burly smuggler known as Wade shrugs. Blast ship got out sure, but you've seen what it's like out there, Katari. Everything's got to shit. How do you expect us to move product, let alone load it in the middle of a war? No skyship captain with half a wit is going to come within a mile of the docks with this shit show going on. You call this a war? Katari's scorn is withering. Wait until we rain fire upon the League of Free States. Wait until their cities burn one after another. Then tell me that your feeble pack of rioters and looters out there on the streets is a war. Still, we can't have that rebel disrupting our supply lines, can we? Lucky for you that at least one of us is good enough for something other than complaining. Within hours... The Imperial military will have swept the scum from the streets, and normal service will be resumed. You're welcome. Now, unless by some miracle either of you actually have something to say that is worthy of my time, I suggest you stop wasting it and get back to whatever it is you're actually supposed to be doing. Her companions, scowling furiously, slink away like whipped dogs. For anyone who's spent any time studying management good practice, you may have spotted a few areas for improvement in Katari's leadership style there. Remember, people don't leave bad companies, they leave bad managers. A bad manager can take a good staff and destroy it, causing the best employees to flee and the remainder to lose all motivation. Just ask Elon Musk if you don't believe me. So, I feel that the Unseen's aura of dread invincibility has been rather punctured by seeing that little exchange. Can they really be all that effective with leadership like that? And before you jump to the Unseen's defence and suggest that perhaps Katari is just one bad apple, let me stop you right there. In my experience, employees don't just leave bad bosses, they leave organisations that allow bad bosses to thrive. And what's more, it's not likely that this is an isolated incident. If the ethics are poor at the top, 
that behaviour will typically be copied down through the rest of the organisation. Alright, enough stringing together of poor management quotes. There was one rather better quote in that last scene that I did actually like, the mantra Trace learned from her mentor. That one is from Lance Armstrong. And while he might not be the most shining example of a sporting role model, he does do a rather good line in inspirational quotes. Okay, time for a quick recap. The Spider's crew have reasoned that the Unseen have been manipulating the machine cult in order to gain access to their stockpile of infernal powder. That seems to have been confirmed in this exchange between the Unseen. The crew have also surmised that the Unseen intend to use this superweapon to lay waste to the League of Free States in Tanth and win their long-fought war. That, in turn, would shift power away from the Arch-Dominar of Kydras and into the hands of the Montessario Thelok power block which, it is assumed, will serve as a vessel for the subsequent machinations of the Unseen. We also know that Trace is from Tanth, home of the Free Leagues, and that her family and friends will very likely become targets of this planned bombing campaign. She is highly motivated to thwart their plans, which perhaps explains her intransigence in the teaser and her recklessness and tenacity in this first scene. It's also why she snapped at the chance that the spider offered her to find out about where the Amada was being assembled and how the infernal powder was being supplied to it. We know that she quickly discovered that the Amada was being put together beneath the continent of conflict. Crater led them to the first warehouse in the docks where they discovered the shapeshifter, a member of the elusive unseen, in the act of absorbing a persona. But what they did not find at first was infernal powder and with that lead blown, they found themselves in the middle of a gang war, which started this chapter with them in a desperate position. Add to that tricky start one other complication. Crater, at the end of the last mission to the Mustang Casino, had the opportunity to reduce his stress level by indulging his dream dust vice. But he rolled terribly, and went into this mission carrying way too much stress for comfort. He's already picked up some stress in the warehouse escape and during the chase, and he started this chapter already on 7 out of 9 stress. That means Trace is going to have to do the lion's share of the heavy lifting. Not good news. It's also the reason I started the teaser with that exchange between Trace and Crater, an attempt to narratively reflect the mechanical game state. But if that's the bad news, for a change we are also blessed with plenty of good. Trace began with a hunt action roll to track the Unseen, and she got a straight success. And the Oracle informed me that she went to another warehouse where there were more Unseen and a load of powder. I used Starforge Oracles next to create my Unseen gang, rolling for each of them on the name, first look, roll, disposition, goal and revealed aspect Oracles. Then I had Trace make a prowl roll to sneak in and eavesdrop, and a success with a consequence this time, which was to suffer harm. I added a lesser harm to Trace's sheet that I called Fatigued, and then I asked a series of additional questions of the various oracles to determine how the Unseen's conversation played out. Interestingly enough, that included an indication that the Unseen were aware of the existence of a means of neutralising the powder, but not aware of what that means actually was. That looks to have tied the Unseen into the Seeker's activity from the last chapter. 
Dr. Crop is very hot property right now, and now we know why. I'm not going to go through all of those oracle questions and answers. All of that information is in the show notes if you're interested. But I will flag something that's probably worth knowing as we go into this next scene. Although it might appear in the fiction that Wade is about to spill the beans that would give the team the information they need to complete the mission, unfortunately that cannot be the case, because our mission clock is only at 7 out of 10. So, whatever he says next, Crater and Trace still have a little bit more work to do. Let's just hope their luck holds out. Though the physical ordeal has been excruciating and has brought her close to the brink of total exhaustion, Trace presses on. And her endurance and careful tracking of the unseen agent calling himself Wade pays dividends. Eventually. The big man, after leaving the warehouse and avoiding the fighting in the streets, has headed to a small, run-down house on the outskirts of the docks. There he has settled down for the night, whilst Crater and Trace, cold and wet from the chill wind and driving rain that have started up, maintain their silent vigil from a nearby rooftop. Over the course of the night, the fighting slowly dies down in the streets, but not before several buildings are torched and a good many residents lose their lives. And when, as Katari had predicted, the military eventually does take control of the streets, those few combatants remaining with an appetite for bloodshed either quickly think better of it or find it is their own being shed. By dawn, all is quiet, save for the patrols. It is late afternoon by the time Wade slips out of his house and heads east. Keep your distance. Trace signals urgently to Crater, who, having grown heartily sick of this entire venture, is tailing Wade with less than total subtlety. Crater's signal back to Trace is a little more direct and more colourful. But in spite of their quibbling, not to mention the heavy presence of both the military and now bluecoats on the street, they and their quarry arrive soon enough at the quays. Lying flat on a warehouse rooftop, Trace snaps open her collapsible spyglass and follows Wade as he weaves through the dockers, back at work loading and unloading skyships under the watchful eye of the soldiers. She follows him still as he strides swiftly along a gangway to an unprepossessing merchant vessel, a bulky hauler, and disappears inside. Trace adjusts her focus and is able to pick out the name painted on the ship's hull, the Percheron. Perfect, she hisses at Traitor. We know where they store the explosives. We know the name of the ship they're using. We should be able to find out easily enough who the ship owner is, and from that, which other ships are likely to be carrying the powder. Mission accomplished! She'd expected a look of satisfaction, or at least relief, from Crater, but instead his tattooed face is creased with concern as he looks down from the warehouse roof in the opposite direction. Do me a favour, Trace. Put that spyglass of yours over that pack of blues, would you? He points at a group of bluecoats, one of whom seems to be pasting up posters on a warehouse wall. Trace frowns, but does as he asks, adjusting the focus once more. What's got you so interested in the blues all of a sudden? Thought I saw something on the way here. Just humour me, would you? All right, though, I don't know what... Oh. Oh, shit. Trace passes Crater the spyglass and he peers through it. Even from this distance, he can make out the details of the poster. Wanted, dead or alive, the web. 
and below that, a list of crimes including treason, murder, arson, kidnap, trespass and mass destruction of property. And below that, pictures of each of them, though fairly poorly drawn ones it looks like. But it's the reward that has Crater giving a double take. Yep, shit is right, Trace. Hell, for that kind of money I might turn me in. Trace points at another poster on the far side of the square, and at another, and yet another. Now that her focus is on them, she can see the posters everywhere. Suddenly, all that exhaustion she has been holding at bay by sheer force of will comes crashing in on her. It's over, she mutters, mostly to herself. We're blown. So, some good news and some not-so-good news. First, the good. We have our first completed one of the three missions that the spider set up for the crew. But we also have a pretty disastrous set of circumstances that the whole crew are now going to have to face. You reap what you sow. The chickens have come home to roost and the piper is wanting paying. Let's explore how we got here. All of this scene centred around a single action roll made by Trace. This was a risky hunt roll with a standard effect made to track Wade back to the shipping route for the powder. The harm she suffered in the last scene reduced that effect by one, but her scout ability added a plus one effect bringing us back to two, and then I ruled that the spyglass from her character sheet would add another plus one to the effect. Seeing as this mission was on 7 out of 10 already, a success here would conclude the mission, and so I decided to push it, giving me 3 dice to roll. A 5, a 3, and a 1 meant a success with a consequence, mission clock to 10 out of 10. Hopefully it's clear how the mechanical setup of that action roll played into the narrative. Grace's exhaustion, but her determination to push through it, the spyglass coming in so useful, and the way that the success on the hunt roll led to the completion of the mission in the story. So far, so good. But there was still that pesky consequence to deal with. What might that entail? The consequence oracle informed me that a new obstacle or threat had appeared, and a picture oracle check gave me a picture of a dragon's head and a net. I confess that did stump me for a while, Eventually, I opted for my search fallback. One of the useful benefits of keeping all my episode notes in Google Docs is that it makes it really easy to do word searches across all of my episodes. So, when that image of a net cropped up and nothing immediately sprang to mind, I did a word search and got this hit on the word net from Season 2, Chapter 8. Freak, Flint's locksmith contact has dropped off the grid. If word on the street is to be believed, he has been picked up by the Bluecoats right after the Mustang went down, and he hasn't been seen since. No prizes for guessing the focus of that particular interrogation. The net is tightening around them. That much is plain. Then all of a sudden, I knew what you get when you add a dragon to a net. You get a dragnet. Now, the impact of this consequence is pretty major. The web have become wanted felons. They will now be actively hunted. Typically, for something so significant to the story, I reserve this kind of consequence for a desperate position role. But it seemed so thematically on point and so well-timed, I just couldn't resist it. 
And let's face it, the web, for all their claims of being a secretive, clandestine organisation specialising in stealth, espionage and subtlety, have rather been tearing through Kairos like a bull in a china shop. Strictly speaking, in Blades in the Dark, this sort of anti-upping should really be linked to the heat mechanic. That's the abstract measure of how dangerous things have got for your crew. But, as I said, this just seems right to me at this point in the story, and so I'm going to go with it. Mechanics be damned. It is my game, and my game alone, after all. Next up, we're going to need to go back in time. To the previous night, in fact and return to the point where we left our two other missions. When we last saw Tatters and Valerian, they were facing off against the deadly Mechaflint, with the palace of House Tereth burning down around their ears. And things looked even worse for Sallow and the Spider, who somehow need to survive an explosion that has destroyed an entire building in order to progress with their mission. But those are problems for another day. Right now, I'll take the win. One mission down, two more to go. Let's see how those play out next time. You have been listening to The Lone Adventurer, a solo RPG podcast played, written, and performed by me, Carl White. If you've enjoyed this episode please consider telling your friends about it or leaving a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It really is a huge help. You can find me on Twitter at TheLoneADV. You can email me at TheLoneADV at gmail.com or follow my blog at carlillustration.wordpress.com. You can find show notes for this episode and all the others at theloneadventurer.podbean.com where I include any links mentioned in the episode, as well as mechanics information. I also include a link to a full episode transcript. The story will continue in the next episode of The Lone Adventurer. Thank you for listening. <laughs>